you want to learn more about the lift, come to our page on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Today's episode of The Lift, Objects for Objects, was written by Carrie G.S. Lip. Carrie had a nightmare once that warns him to never have a website, which he interprets as prophecy. Until he realizes that this was only a dream, you can find him at facebook.com forward slash Lip, and that's L-I-P-P. You can also say hi on Twitter, at Carrie Lip. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com or on iTunes. Carrie warns you to cover the camera on your laptop. You never know who's watching you. Do you hear me? I am Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. <laughs> the choices you made in the past don't matter, but the choice you make now is the one Mandy Stroyer grins as she opens her post office box and finds it filled to capacity. There is a note taped inside prompting her to stop by the desk on her way out to collect the overflow. She receives a steady stream of gifts daily, but Mondays are always the heaviest. Mandy's brought a cart called a U-boat with her, similar to what bellhops use in nice hotels, and loads up the cartons. The boxes come in all shapes and sizes. Some are heavy, some light, some rattle, some don't. She loves the variety, the mystery. Once loaded, she rolls it to the front desk, flashes a bright white smile bordered by full, soft, red lips. The postman working the desk avoids her eyes, her smile. His eyes land briefly on her cleavage before his face reddens, and he zeroes in on the floor. Do you have anything for me, Daniel? A package, perhaps? She asks, her voice all smoke and honey. Something that wouldn't fit in my box. I, uh... He doesn't look up. His voice shakes. He clears his throat. (coughs) And she sees that his face looks like a tomato. Mandy can almost feel his fevered heat. She's seen this look on a majority of men since her early days as a teenager. She can look inside his head and watch his mind war between embarrassment and horniness. 
though she's had this effect on men for years, it's always fun to watch and almost always works. She glances at the cart of packages, then the helpless puddle of a man in front of her and smirks. Yes, Miss Stroyer? Daniel has found his voice. Do you think you could help me load up? Uh, sure, he says. Great, I'll go pull up. Okay, Daniel gulps. He's not even out of the air conditioning and into the hot summer sun yet, but patches of sweat darken his uniform on his belly, under his arms, and across his back. She strides out the front door, all rolling confident hips and dripping swagger, her skirt fluttering up in her wake. The lights on her brand new cherry red 2015 Cadillac Escalade, another gift. Flicker when she presses the button on her remote. She climbs in, puts on her sunglasses, and cruises to the front of the post office. Daniel is waiting with a cartload of boxes. From the driver's seat, she presses another button, and the hatch slides open. Just put them in the back, sweetie, she says, and pulls out her cell phone, scrolling through Twitter and Instagram, checking the cascade of likes and retweets her morning bathroom selfies earned her. Pretty tame for Mandy's standards, but she posts them every day. Since her retirement, she has to maintain a strong online presence to keep them wanting. Because keeping them wanting keeps the gifts coming. Alright then, that's all of them, Daniel says. He stands there, expectant, awkwardly dancing from foot to foot. Mandy offers a wave without looking up from her phone. She presses another button that automatically closes the rear hatch and drives off. Twenty minutes later, she's parked and looking up at her immaculate apartment. Another gift from another stupid man who thought if he paid her rent, she'd let him visit every now and then. Before entering her own place, she knocks on a door a few units down, doesn't wait for the answer, just knocks and walks away. Mandy leaves her front door cracked as she goes to the kitchen, opens a bottle of diamond-infused water, and takes a healthy drink as the teenage neighbor boy comes in with the first load of boxes. Big load today, he says, staring at her while she gulps the water. She arches her eyebrows a quarter of an inch to acknowledge what he says, then presses the bottle between her breasts, then her neck, as she tosses her hair back. He gapes, blinks, then goes outside for three more trips, piling packages on her cherry dining table and the rich Persian rug in her living room. Then he lets himself out. With her water in one hand and laptop in the other, she stretches out on her Italian leather sofa and gets to work. She will open the gifts later. What is important now is securing more gifts. She scrolls through her social media accounts and sees several new followers and surfs a few blogs to see if her name pops up on TMZ, BuzzFeed, or Barstool Sports, but they aren't using her today. It's uncommon when they do, but when they do, she has to hustle all the more. Her direct messages are disabled, but about 100 people have tweeted at her specifically. The same old bullshit. She's so pretty. Will she marry them? Can they fuck her? 
Does she have a boyfriend? What is she going to do another movie? Same tweets, different day. This would annoy the shit out of her even more if those same rabid, horny men, and occasionally women, weren't constantly sending her gifts. For 30 minutes, she replies to as many as she can, being interested and sweet and flirty and fake as the fuck doll they take her to be. When this first started, she felt bad for gaming them the way she did. But when she realized she could retire at 24 after only five years of doing porn, she got over it. Quickly. After all, they only wanted her body anyways. If they wanted to buy her things, she wouldn't stop them, and she wouldn't feel bad about it. Objects for objects. A fair exchange. When the 30 minutes expire, her stomach grumbles, and she goes to the kitchen and makes herself a salad. All organic, with fresh top-shelf ingredients. She takes a picture of the salad, then lifts up her shirt, exposing her stomach, and snaps another. She posts the pictures side-by-side on Instagram with the caption, Gotta eat this to keep this, followed by hashtags like hashtag Mandy Stroyer, Hashtag food porn, hashtag organic, hashtag healthy lunch, and others. Her goal is to keep her current followers entertained, but on the fringe is potential for other people to follow suit and show their friends. Better than that would be for someone to take offense at what she's posted and start some kind of keyboard warrior controversy. Those are rare. And she doesn't push too hard for them, because she never wants to look that desperate for attention. But they are a blessing when they happen organically. There's no better way to drive traffic. While she eats her salad, she logs into Amazon and adds lotions, electronics, gourmet foods, books, anything that remotely sparks her interest to her wish list. That list, when updated, is then accessible to her legion of followers. They don't just buy her little things like cookies and underwear either. Sometimes, they spend thousands. The car. The apartment. Granted, those came from men she knows. But still, she ducks them when she can and puts on a happy face and fucks them if she absolutely has to. Overall, she keeps things under control. And speak of the devil, both have sent emails to her private account. She sighs and closes the laptop without opening either message, and makes a mental note to make plans for the weekend, since one or both will probably be in town. She grabs a pair of scissors and walks over to the pile of packages. Mandy opens the first one and pulls out a milk and honey scented candle inside a mason jar. She grins as she doesn't even remember putting this on her wish list. But once she uncaps it and inhales its pleasant scent, she's glad she did. Mandy does not read the message written on the packing slip. It's probably about how horny she makes some dude, and she's way past the point in her life where that matters in the slightest. Lighting the candle on the kitchen table, she picks up the next box. A flick of the scissors slices the tape, and she pulls the flaps of the box apart and smiles. A new 
iPad. Her last one split in two when it fell from her balcony and hit the blacktop below. That destructive day had been less than a week ago when she took pictures and did a cute little whiny act on Twitter and Instagram. And already, some guy, she glances at the packing slip with this one, Gus Hergenfruder has replaced her broken iPad and written a note about the order in which he would like to penetrate her orifices. She wonders if Amazon employees actually read these things and giggles. Before she moves on to open the other boxes, she wants to get her iPad set up and get it downloading all the apps she lost on her last one. This isn't the first time this has happened to her. Mandy unwraps it and presses the on switch and gasps. <gasps> Instead of the ubiquitous Apple logo, a little girl with blonde pigtails greets her. The girl smiles and waves and blinks at her. Mandy squeezes her eyes shut, opens them. The young girl is frantically waving. Mandy finds the little girl a little creepy, but oddly endearing. Finally! It's dreadfully dark in there, the girl says. Mandy's mouth falls open. She covers it with a palm. Hello, Mandy. Oh, don't be frightened. My name is Victoria. Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes. It's rather nice to meet you. Victoria does a clumsy curtsy and places the flat of her palm against the screen from the other side. What? You're not real. What is going on? That's not a very nice thing to say now, is it? Victoria frowns. But, but... Oh, save your butts and come along with me. She pokes the power switch, but nothing happens. Go on, put your hand on the glass. Victoria says. We've got some things to see. Mandy looks around the room bites her lip and puts her hand on the screen and upon contact her world changes wood panels cover all the walls but the front where a silver door slides shut with a bank of buttons to the right the little girl Victoria stands next to the panel of buttons where am I? Mandy asks in my lift silly Victoria says giggling I can see that, Mandy says, her patience thinning. What the hell do you call this? Take a deep breath, Mandy. This won't take long. We're almost there now. We're only going to the fourth floor. I think I'm losing my mind, she mutters. Or dreaming. She smiles and nods, deciding to accept it as the dream it obviously is. Well, let's get on with it. Mandy says, and reaches for the button labeled four. Victoria bats it away. Oh no, I always get to push the buttons, she says, and presses the number four. The button lights up. Gears start to shift as the elevator comes alive and dings what reaches the fourth floor. The silver doors slide open. Victoria puts her arm across the door and nods. After you. She says. Mandy steps off the lift. You seem quite popular, Victoria says, stepping off behind her. 
So popular, in fact, that it seems every day for you is like your birthday and Christmas all rolled into one. That must be quite nice. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Most days I can't believe it myself, Mandy says. When I may appear to be only a young girl, I'm a tad more than I look. I know how you've earned your popularity. Now I don't wish to discuss it in detail. <laughs> Mandy laughs at that. They walk through the corridor. It seems to go on forever. Doors line the walls on both sides far enough down until they disappear on the horizon of the hallway. Hey, Mandy says. They do it of their own free will. I just open the avenues and they're happy to oblige. Do you really believe that? Victoria says. That they're happy to oblige? I do. I don't know why they would send you things if they didn't want to. Hmm. Victoria says and stops her stride. Here's one of your suitors. Why don't you tell me if he looks happy? Victoria twists the knob of a door and it creaks open. Dim light fills the room inside where a lone man sits in his boxer shorts, staring at a computer screen. Posters from several of Mandy's movies line his walls. It's okay, Victoria says. He can't hear us. He doesn't know we're here. Go on, get a little closer. Take a look at what he's doing on that computer screen. Mandy glances around and enters the room. The man taps keys as if he is all alone at home. Mandy walks further in and leans over his shoulder, gets a good look at the computer screen. He's got four windows open, and he clicks between the four. One is Twitter, where he constantly refreshes looking for tweets from Mandy. Second is Instagram, where he does the same. Third is her Amazon wish list, which he surfs through trying to find the perfect gift to get her attention. The fourth is the one that breaks Mandy's heart. It's an open word document, and this is where he spends most of his time. He's meticulously drafting and redrafting and editing 300 characters that he can send in a note with his gift. A note that Mandy won't even read. And this note isn't about how much he wants to fuck her or how her sweet lips would feel wrapped around his penis. It's a thank you letter to Mandy for helping him through an attempted suicide and severe depression after the man's wife and child died in a tragic accident. He talks about her looks, enthusiasm, and yes, her sexuality too, and how he felt a bond with her, though she'd never know it. He wrote that she looks like his wife, and that, in a messed up way, Mandy's pornographic performances provided him with comfort and closure. The man is painstakingly drafting a letter to thank Mandy. And Mandy realizes she's never thanked anyone for all the shit they've sent her. Not even the neighbor or the post office. Not once. She also realizes she's having trouble breathing. I need to get out of here, she says. 
Okay, go on then. Victoria says and closes the door behind them. Mandy is near hyperventilating, squatting down with her back leaned up against the wall next to that door, the threat of tears stinging her eyes. That's horrible, Mandy says. But it's the exception. Most of them aren't like that. That's why I quit reading the messages altogether. That may be true, Victoria says. But at the same time, you provide millions of men with false hope. Some of them are misfits that don't understand social dynamics. Some go broke trying to buy your attention. Others have lost marriages due to their addiction to the products you've created and the way you present yourself. Your greed is driven by their desires. That is not my fault. It may not be, but it is something you could control. Instead, you are too busy figuring out how to get more and do less. Your ungrateful attitude is going to catch up with you, and then you'll have nothing. Mandy stares at the floor. Look at this hallway, Mandy. Every room is filled with someone just like that man we just met. And the corridor goes on quite a ways. I went from getting no attention to getting all the attention I could possibly want to getting far too much attention, most of it sexual, to the point that it bothered me, disturbed me, disgusted me, freaked me the fuck out, and so I found a way to use it to my advantage. She looks up at Victoria. Is that so wrong? And some of that false hope you were talking about, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe the thought, just the thought that I might answer one of these men or, God forbid, give them exactly what they want, me, maybe that's enough to keep them going too, to keep them moving forward, to do their jobs or feed their families or whatever it might be, to give them something to look forward to when they check the internet, even when the call never comes, Mandy says, chest heaving. Sounds like you're trying to convince yourself, Victoria says. How many stake their whole lives on that hope and end up ruining it in the process? The two of them stood there in the eternal hallway, quiet for a full minute. I don't know what to do, Mandy says. You're the one that brought me here. Help me. What do I do? Maybe there is something. Victoria says, and starts walking back toward the lift. Take all the false hope you spread and grow it into true hope. I don't understand. These men would rather shower you with gifts than help people in real need. People that need it lots more than you do. So you put stuff on your list that you could pass on to others. You could really help them. Because if you don't do something, Mandy... Soon, your soul will be as empty as this hallway. That's... Mandy starts, sniffles, glances down the great hallway. A great idea. Do this for a while and don't tell anyone. Wait for the story to break organically, as you like to call it. In the end, you might just get exactly what you want. Satisfaction and notoriety for your ability to channel hope. Whatever you do, start paying attention to those who give it to you. 
Without them, you've got nothing. You'd have to get a job. Victoria winks. They enter the lift, and Victoria presses a button. Mandy looks down at Victoria for a long moment and smiles as the elevator descends. I'm going to do something that I haven't done in years. What's that? Victoria asks. The elevator doors open, showing Mandy's lavish apartment covered with expensive trinkets and top-of-the-line junk. Say, thank you, Mandy says, and steps off the lift and back into her life. Today's episode featured a story by Carrie G.S. Lip. Objects for Objects. If you'd like more information on Carrie and his work, you can find him on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Carrie.g.lip. And that's L I P P. You can also find him on Twitter at Carrie Lip. Artwork for today's show was created by Alex Murd. If you'd like more information on Alex and her work, please visit crazedpixel.com and follow her on Twitter at crazedpixel. This episode was scored by Nico Viteze, our music director. You can find more of Nico's work over at wetalkofdreams.com, which is his production company. Today's narrator was Cynthia Lohman. Find more of Cindy's work at cynthialohman.com. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com S1E12. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13, coming soon to Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at victoriaslift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash victoriaslift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com The titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. 
Executive Producer and Co-Creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music Director, Nico B. Casey. Art Director, Stephen Matico. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. The show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump. Listen, the M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.